Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of SEPAD Pod, the Sectarianism, Proxies and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Fanar Haddad. Everyone knows who Fanar is, they've read his work, and uh, it's, it's wonderful on Iraq and sectarian politics and much more. And what we're going to do over the course of this very special episode is just talk about events in Iraq in, in recent times and the, the widespread protests that have engulfed the state. Fanar, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Thanks, Simon. My pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on, as always, and I couldn't think of anyone more qualified and, and better suited to talk about what's going on in Iraq today. So, yeah, I wish it was happier, happier reasons. Yeah, well, one day we'll get you on for a, for a happy podcast, <laughs> hopefully. Um, yeah, hopefully. Fana, do you want to just kick it off by, by talking a little bit about what's, what's triggered all of this then? Why have protests broken out right now? What is it about the, the recent past that has prompted Iraqis to take to the streets and, and for things to get quite so bad? I mean, look, the, the, I mean, these aren't the first protests, obviously, that emerge, although they're the, they're the worst uh, so far or the most serious so far. Um, I mean, there's just such broad, uh, deep uh, disillusionment with electoral politics, um, with previous protest movements organized by uh, sort of civic, civic trend or the communists or whoever, uh, and there's just the feeling that the political system is completely unresponsive, and it's a you know well-deserved sort of uh, feeling and uh, a very justified feeling that the uh, oligarchy of ruling parties that control the political system have enriched themselves and those with connections to them uh, at the expense of uh, the political and economic development of Iraq. So you've got a, a population of what something like 60, 65% of Iraqis are under the age of 35, right. uh, which is a staggering yeah. bulge. Um, there's uh, no economic development to speak of, uh, and there's still a reliance on sort of the rentier mentality, the rentier model of uh, using oil wealth to create superfluous jobs. And of course, there's only so much money and so only so many jobs that can be created. Uh, and I think we saw the, that frontier mentality in the government's reaction, sort of uh, in addition to the stick, the very heavy stick they used this time, uh, the carrot that they dangled was yet more sort of doling out uh, benefits and creating jobs and the like. Um, the emergency cabinet meeting, I think it was last week, on the 6th, I believe, uh, came up with a 17-point plan um, now, sure, the beneficiaries, I mean, it'd be good for the beneficiaries when they get these added benefits, but I mean, there's no mention of sort of structural reform or legislative issues, uh, things like uh, um, uh, making changes, much needed changes to the electoral law uh, and the party's law, and no mention of that whatsoever. And no mention as well of the, um, of the recent bloodshed and sort of, you know, trying to uh, ensure some kind of accountability for that. Mm. So I think that the, what's happened with these protests is that, or at least what might be happening, is that what used to be seen as an inefficient and unresponsive and sort of uh, kleptocratic government is now also being seen as a authoritarian one and an oppressive one, given the death toll uh, and the over uh, overreaction of the security services in the face of these protests. So... I, I mean, it doesn't bode well for state-society relations moving forward, uh, nor does it bode well for future uh, protests. Uh, and several uh, analysts, several scholars have, have pointed out, and I fully agree, 
that this may signal uh, sort of Iraq taking a more authoritarian turn. Um, I mean, with the suspension of the internet, with the, the death toll, of course, mass arrests, uh, the securitization of protest, I think this might be a, a, pre- a new precedent for a new, more authoritarian uh, turn in Iraqi politics. Sure. So there's a great deal of, of structural and an almost existential crisis that's that's subsuming the state, which we can get onto in a minute, Fanar. But um, mm. just just talk us quickly through what's happened then. So with all of these these issues that are bubbling away, then what happened? Well, I mean, one of the triggers, I mean, the, there was the uh, demotion of the um, one of the heads of the counterterrorism service, a hugely popular man called Abdul Wahab al-Sa'idi, uh, extremely popular, sort of a national icon. He became the, the face of the fight against ISIS. Uh, and so he was he, he had broad, very broad national support. His demotion caused some anger, but there was anger uh, there again. I mean, I don't think it was the issues about Abdul Wahab al-Sa'idi. I mean, there were protests the week before uh, these mass protests that came out. There were protests by by uh, students demanding jobs. Uh, there was protests, I believe, by by members of the medical profession as well. Um, so that there is this sort of anger at unemployment, at lack of services, at the corruption, the sort of the corruption that's eating away at all facets of public life. Uh, so all of this sort of builds up and uh, explodes. And yes, the, the issue of Abdul Wahab al-Saadi sort of also uh, added sort of uh, another, another sort of uh, catalyst or another trigger. And it exploded into these uh, protests that were not violent to begin with. I mean, even apologists uh, of the security services or apologists of the government, <clears throat> all they can point to is sort of minor incidents of vandalism or whatnot, uh, you know, not even, I, I mean, I'd, I'd hesitate to even compare them to the vandalism that was seen in uh, London in 2011 during the London riots. Right. So initially, I mean, uh, as we've discussed before, I mean, this was a crowd, this should have remained a crowd control issue uh, for which there are any number of tactics. I mean, I'm not a policeman, but I mean, there's any number of tactics uh, to deal with crowd control um, and to clear protests and to clear mass demonstrations and the like without resorting so immediately to the use of live fire. Uh, the result being, in the space of, what, five days, there's been 6,000 injuries and up to 300 fatalities of young men who, you know, were, this was an unarmed protest. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that fatalities figure is is devastating. I mean, you, you've just posed a, a figure that's far higher than than some of the mainstream media are reporting. The BBC was suggesting that it was around 100, I believe. But um, I, mean, I should say, we, we don't really know. Sure, uh, yeah. But, but some reports are coming out that the number is closer to 300. I mean, even if we take the median between 100 and 300, yeah. even, if it's 200, that even if it's 100, that, that's still a staggering number, considering the how unnecessary the use of force was, how sort of, I mean, they... they this was a problem of the security services' own making. There was yeah. absolutely no call to use that kind of violence. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's devastating from the the number of days of these protests that that you can have, even if it's a hundred a hundred deaths in in a small number of days worth of protests. I mean, it, it does speak to what you're saying about crowd control and and severe yeah. mismanagement. 
Absolutely. I mean, and the videos, uh, the videos that have poured out of Iraq. I mean, now of course it's much. The, the, it's been reduced to a trickle due to the uh, suppression of the internet of internet access. But uh, I mean, in the early days, the, the 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 flood of videos that were coming out. I mean, a bizarre overuse of force. Uh, what would what, what I mean? What would uh, justify that kind of uh, lethal force? So there's, there's the sheer sound of gunfire. Uh, must have terrorized, uh, you know, the half of Baghdad uh, and the other cities. And again, yeah. it was completely, completely unnecessary. And I think it's created an added layer of, of resentment and an added layer of, of grievance that wasn't there to begin with. I mean, previous uh, demonstrations did not view the security services uh, or the uh, government as a sort of an oppressive force. There wasn't this sort of uh, divide or disconnect between the security forces and and uh, the public, at least in the protest movement since 2015. Whereas now, I think that that is very likely to uh, be a feature in future protests. Um, and then the, the next the next protest, of course, again, you know, it's only a matter of time because. Um, uh, before before uh, the next round of protests or the next uh, uh, explosion of anger. And, of course, the really frightening thing is that if this uh, next episode were to take place during the Arba'in, which is a major Shia festival that's coming up next week, uh, in which millions of Iraqis and non-Iraqis will be uh, marching on foot towards Karbala to commemorate the 40th day after the Battle of Karbala, uh, so it's a very emotive uh, time, uh, a huge gathering of people. I mean, a stampede alone can cause hundreds of deaths, let alone if this turned into uh, mass protests and if there was another overreaction. I mean, this is one of the reasons that Saddam's regime banned the uh, mass rituals, because of the platform that they can potentially provide yeah. uh, for political discontent and mass mobilization. And this would be mass mobilization on an enormous uh, scale. So fingers crossed for the Arba'in and hopefully it passes off uh, peacefully. Yeah, certainly. And obviously I echo all of those those sentiments. Uh, just just quickly for now, has there been anything from the, the clerics on this? Has, has Sistani, for example, said anything about, about these events, particularly given that it's leading up to Arba'in? Well, I mean, Sistani made, a, I mean, through his through his representative, did make a comment on this uh, during the Friday last Friday. Um, I, I mean, there was absolutely nothing surprising about the uh, the the sermon, and it's exactly what you'd expect. In fact, the only thing that I found surprising was people's uh, expectations right, that okay. he was gonna gonna sort of come out and, and sort of uh, lend his voice in, in any different way. I mean, he could have scripted it before the event. He, hmm. he knew he was yeah. going to say that, uh, you know, they had to sort of respect the sanctity of, of human life and, and the, the safety of the protesters and the like, and that everyone must respect uh, uh, public property uh, and that the political classes need to sort of change course and need to sort of clean their act up. I mean, we knew yeah. he was going to say that because ultimately, uh, even if he has lent his voice in support of reform initiatives, he's fundamentally a status quo actor. Yeah. Uh, he's not a revolutionary actor, and I don't think it's part of his job description to be a, uh, and certainly not part of his temperament to be a revolutionary actor. Sure. Uh, so I, I wasn't surprised by that at all. Uh, I think it was very ineffective, um, and it, 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 it there was a feeling amongst uh, sort of 
you saw it in some of the subsequent protests that you know they felt let down by it. But again, you know, it's I I, I didn't expect any different yeah. um, from him, given that as I said, he's a fundamentally the Marjai as a status quo actor uh, in in post two thousand and three Iraq. Sure, yeah, I think that that makes sense. And for now, you you mentioned that the the sound of gunfire is provoking terror across across Baghdad and other cities of Iraq, and that's certainly understandable. But it it strikes me that that perhaps one of the the reasons for this this increasingly violent, uh, repressive, and authoritarian response of the state is that they too have this this existential fear that there is uh, quite a widespread rejection of of the political status quo. Yeah, they wouldn't be wrong if uh, if they if they thought that they wouldn't be wrong at all. Uh, I think it even more troubling is that some elements of the political classes are convinced. I actually think they really do believe this. Are convinced that what happened was the basically the the the, the result of a of a plot uh, led by external enemies and external agencies, um, America, Saudi Arabia, and the like. Uh, and there, there was this belief, at least among some, uh, some in the, in the political classes, that this was a plot that needed to be put down, that this was basically an attempt to turn Iraq into Syria 2011, um, and they genuinely believed this. Uh, beyond that, as you're absolutely right, I mean, there is the fear of, of you know, just how that disconnect will manifest, just how that... Um, Anger at the at the political classes will will sort of uh, will sort of erupt, um, but again, I mean, it, it's I still find it baffling that they uh, felt that unarmed protesters, unarmed young men, occupying public space and burning the odd car uh, is 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 sort of you know uh, um, equal to a, to an actual existential threat that needed to be put down at all costs because that's how they saw it and that's. Yeah. Uh, uh, what the reaction uh, sort of tells us. I guess it it demonstrates the fragility of their own position or their perceived fragility in the context of of an Iraq that is increasingly precarious and facing a range of of challenges. Of course, a, a great many of them are of the the regime's own making and elite own making in terms of corruption, in terms of nepotism, and the the the. The form of muhasasa that has, I guess, embedded all of these issues within the context of the state. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the, I mean, the, the position, their position, is very fragile. I think, but uh, sort of paradoxically, it's it's so diff- precisely because of that sort of uh, what should I say that diffusion of uh, political power and political structure. It makes them. Uh, it gives them a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit of a defense against sort of calls for revolution and the like. So, I mean, one thing that I, I sort of argued recently was, uh, every year, sort of, uh, when we get these mass protests, particularly this year, some people sort of uh, look to them as uh, a hopefully a harbinger of, of revolution. My question is always, what does revolution look like in a place like Iraq? Uh, you know, you don't have a king to drag off to the guillotine. You don't have uh, a sort of a zaim, uh, so you can, you know, tear down a statue. Uh, it's it's sort of a, a web of interests. And uh, what, what would a truly revolutionary movement aspire to? I mean, how do you get rid of all of that? 
Um, so to me, I think the, the biggest danger, at least last week, I was thinking, was that if these protests or the ones next uh, coming up after uh, in the near future, uh, if these sort of create fissures in the political and security establishments, right? Yeah. Where that could be a road towards civil war. Um, and I think that the political classes, I mean, they should see it in, in their own interests uh, to yield some room for genuine uh, reform, some room for new entrance into the political system, even if they, they retain the bulk of their uh, of their interests and their access to patronage and their patronage networks and the like, uh, I think it's in their own interest to yield some room uh, that might alleviate this this raw anger. And it is absolutely raw anger. This year, for the first time, the protests, and again, when I say first time, first time since 2015, uh, it's the first time that protests are calling for the downfall of the regime, Shabi Uri, the Scott and Navan. This wasn't yeah. the case in previous years. And it's indicative of that cumulative growing anger, completely justified anger, uh, by a population who feels uh, that they're denied political representation or economic opportunity, functioning services or a coherent uh, sovereign state. Of course, yeah. It strikes me that these these issues are, are inherently structural. They are latent but increasingly manifest and, and aren't going away anytime soon, which which also strikes me that... that this is not going to be an isolated case of protests. I mean, you've already talked about the the series of protests that took place before then, but the implication would be that that protesters will not stop here, that there will be future incidents of protest. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, and I think the question is how will... Uh, various political actors and uh, military uh, security actors as well, both in Iraq and beyond, how will they uh, um, try to either use use this to their own advantage or how will they try to cushion themselves against uh, the threat that these protests uh, pose? Because you're absolutely right, these are fundamentally their structural issues. And one thing that the prime minister was right about is there is no magic wand, although that's not exactly what the protesters wanted to hear <laughs> at, yeah. the height of, at the height of the upheaval. Um, but he's right. Uh, there is no uh, magic wand. I think then there has to be a combination of long-term structural change, and that, that in itself is a very tall order for, for this law. Um, but long-term structural change coupled with uh, short-term sort of uh, concessions, short-term uh, um, measures that can sort of uh, alleviate that 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 anger. So, for example, try you know um, uh, making serious headway in in um, bringing the most egregious uh, behaviour and during the protests to account. For example, that would be a very uh, I think meaningful um, measure. That will that would um, alleviate a lot of the anger that has built up. But again, you don't see that happening, not in any serious sense. Right. So the, the, I don't envy the political classes uh, the pickle that they find themselves in because yeah, it's it's a combination of long term. The, the matter is, is a matter of long term long term reform and change. Uh, but there also needs to be immediate immediate uh, um, goodwill built. Uh, very soon to sort of sap the energy of this this anger that's aimed uh, aimed against them. Uh, so yeah, it's. But I will also add, uh, whilst I don't envy them their position, it's one of their own making. This is not something that has yeah. uh, come about overnight. This is the result of 16 years 
um, of continued failure. Uh, 16 years, I think the Iraqi people, quite understandably, are out of patience. Yeah, that's certainly understandable. When you put it like that, 16 years of of, of ongoing corruption, endemic corruption, nepotism, uh, mm. manipulation of, of various things, economic uh, stagnation, bureaucratic inertia. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a devastating list of things that Iraqis have had to experience for the past 16 years. Yeah, it's just a, a group. I mean, it's an oligarchy of, of hyper-corrupt, uh, in some cases criminal uh, um, uh, actors and parties that, that really just have a very tight grip on... on uh, the sources of wealth and the, the, the country's natural resources. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, the, 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 like I said, people just have run out of patience. And on top of that, uh, the official discourse no longer has the, uh, you know, fighting terrorism or fighting a civil war or fighting ISIS as, uh, as uh, you know, sort of an excuse so particularly since, uh, even during Abadi's days, the latter part of Abadi's tenure, so from about, I'd say from about 2015, 2016, uh, which is when the protest movement sort of first emerged in an organized fashion in 2015. I mean, there were previous protests, but what's, I, I see what's happening today as accumulation of what's gone on since 2015, when people's expectations and their demands uh, changed. Uh, with the waning of existential fear, with the waning of the politics of sect, um, with the sort of downgrading of the threat posed by ISIS and all the rest of it, and the feeling that, you know, Iraq is turning a corner. And I think it was turning a corner, at least in the sense that there was a window of opportunity um, that a more far-sighted and more efficient leadership would have taken advantage of. Um, to to sort of start diverting attention away from security issues and actually start looking at things like uh, economic development and social services and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. This has been completely squandered, uh, particularly in in, in in the violence that that we saw last week. It was already squandered. I think that the window of opportunity was already squandered given that it's been three years. But what really put the nail in, in the coffin was, I think, the, the reaction to last week's protests. Yeah. Well, Fanad, thank you so much for, for taking time to talk with us today. It's, it's such a depressing and and frustrating story. And I guess all we can hope for is that that uh, there is a, a, a peaceful manifestation of protests and that, that the regime in Baghdad is able to to respond in a in a responsible way. From your lips to his ears. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Fanar. It's a pleasure as always talking with you and I look forward to, to the day where we can talk about something more positive. Sure, I look forward to that as well, <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me on. A pleasure. Thanks, Fanar, and thank you as always for listening. Until next time. Thanks.